Howdy, friends, and welcome back to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich conversations not only about Pilates and the Pilates mindset, but about how people move and are moved, the way we think about each other and we play together, how we form relationships with and through movement, and a whole lot of other human-y good things that we think you're going to love. I'm Chantel Lopez. I'm the creator of Said Shenanigans, and I am joined by my delightful co-host, James Crater. We are deeply grateful for your time and attention, as always, and appreciate your feedback, your shares on social media, and your reviews on iTunes, because that kind of love is what keeps us going, keeping you inspired and curious, we hope, for a very, very long time. In this awesome episode of the podcast, we are speaking to Augusta Moore. Augusta is a spectacular Feldenkrais teacher and somatics explorer. She is also the director of ballet at ODC, the Oberlin Dance Collective out of San Francisco. Now, we had the great honor and joy of having Augusta come up to see us, and we interviewed her live in the studio here in Sacramento. Unfortunately, there is a bit of environmental noise and atmosphere, so bear with us. Hopefully, you can crank up the volume a bit and get all the juicy tidbits. And now for the show. everybody. Uh, it's Chantel, and I'm here with James. Hi. Like in person, which like, is unusual. I know. No, <laughs> normally we're like nowhere near each other now. Right. Sometimes cross country. <laughs> now we're literally sitting right across from each other. We are. And we are here with our guest live and in person, which is also really unusual. We're here with Augusta Moore. Hi, Augusta. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. Good. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, um, We've been talking about some really cool stuff this season already, yeah. and a very, uh, it's turning out to be a, another, like, eclectic group of guests, which is exciting. Um, I was introduced to Augusta, we've only just met minutes ago, but one of my students, um, who I consider, um, very discerning about who she works with and, and just her awareness of her interactions with people, um, took a class with you and could not stop talking about it. Ooh. Yeah. It was just, I mean, and it was less what she said and more of like how she said it, you know, just like this energy of like, you have got You've got to experience this woman. Wow. And so... Wonder what we did. Yeah. <laughs> so she had taken a Feldenkrais class with you in San Francisco or somewhere in the area. Um, and, it, you know, James and I are always on the lookout for people who have interesting ideas and who we feel like can um, just shed more light or a different light on teaching movement and being with people through movement. And so that's why you're here and we're grateful and excited. Yeah. Um, so we've alluded to this in the past, but I want to be explicit about it because I'm going to refer to it. Um, when we have a guest, when we invite a guest onto the show, we have them fill out a questionnaire and it's, uh, it's to just to get to know them and to get to know what, where they're at in their work and their ideas. It's also some kind of silly things. It gives us a starting place. My first question, Augusta, is 
derived from reading some of your responses and from some of the questions that James and I have been asking other guests, specifically around identifying our work and what we do and what we call ourselves. Um, and we've talked about it. I know, right? <laughs> we've talked about it most recently in an episode that you've probably heard called, called Movement Identity. Yeah. And, and so I have kind of a strange question for you, which is how you would describe what you do or your work without identifying who you work for or who you work with or the modality that you use. So if you strip away the labels and the models, what what's left? What would you say that it is? What, what it is I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm trying to help people uh, just become more aware of themselves, just having a deepening understanding of what's already there. So often people are trying to improve and improve, uh, finding, kind of running after something. <clears throat> Uh, outside themselves. So it's taking the time to slow down to feel what's actually in you and what is available to you. There's so much untapped uh, potential. So I think that one of the things I do is to help people slow down long enough uh, to see what they are. And it's, that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what you really, like, what your labels are, are you are the director of ballet for ODC, which is a dance cooperative in San Francisco, and you're a Feldenkrais teacher, mm -hmm. and you are a teacher of somatics, mm -hmm. yeah. And then what else would you say about that, if we're going to kind of... About those things? Well, just about the, is that the checklist, like, in terms of, like, if you're using all of the labels in the, in the models, is that what you would say you do? Uh, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just I coach people. a lot of people in different things. You know, I work with actors. I work with a large population of mm -hmm. different people. Mm -hmm. um, the Feldenkrais background, you know, I've, and also I've studied infant developmental movement with Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a baby class at ODC. Mm -hmm. I was an assistant for it, uh, for, with working with someone who's uh, Rebecca Hasseltine, who's been a um, BMC practitioner for many years. Mm -hmm. And that was an amazing class because we—it was just to help people, help parents understand the milestones of what their children were doing, and actually just build more respect for the babies. Mm -hmm. I and love that. It mm -hmm. was amazing right. that you know to recognize. Um, you know, in India, they 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 think of the um, first three months as the fourth trimester. Mm -hmm. So that's a time of being inflection still and being a baby ball and building more tone and not being exposed to so much light mm -hmm. and just generally still protecting. Mm -hmm. You see so many people kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, there are, I don't know if in India, but there are cultures where it's really taboo to put the baby down on the ground for, oh, for right. the yeah. first year of yeah. the yeah. child's life. I can't remember what that is. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yes. Well, and, and, you know, I guess people... I've been thinking a lot about that too. I mean, it's wherever you grow up. Butterflies, what do they, they taste things through their feet. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got a different kind of way of sensing or whatever culture they come sure. from or what way they um, take in information. You know, about being a movement teacher, it's just, God forbid anybody listen to what I say. You know, most <laughs> things are about, what my problem with movement instruction is that it's like, it's still based in this kind of kinesiology, you know, hold your arm. 
I, I went to a major ballet school and watched this person who's had you know training beyond anyway high level ballet school. And the only three corrections I heard to these 12-year-olds were lift your arches, suck your belly button against your navel, and um, tighten your back. Mm -hmm. I was just horrified yeah. that this yeah. is still... What's happening. What's happening. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. still happening. But even, even, even with us who are... And I think this person wants to be a conscientious teacher. And, but this is why this uh, coming back, I was mentioning earlier, into this uh, core of consciousness. How do you let someone find themselves before you impose a movement on them? Yes. Yeah. That's that's what I'm trying to do, is help people find themselves so they have their self-referencing yes. to what they're doing rather than relying on the teacher. Yes. And it's very interesting in a ballet program to do this. But I, one of the my favorite teachers in there, Marissa Castillo, she's been my student for many years and been a colleague for the last uh, 13 years. And she is just amazing with the you know these 11 12 year olds mm -hmm. these kids are getting such a great sense of themselves and mm -hmm. uh, oh right when they need it the most yes yeah say. she's like in my <laughs> she's she's my kingpin right in there awesome. and we are just nerding out all the time talking about this and she studied a lot of bonnie bainbridge cohen she's gone up to they have a training in oregon that you can go to and and stay yeah, I yeah. stayed in the tent and everything. Yes, oh my gosh. Uh, one of the teachers in the mentoring program, uh -huh. Tammy Tepper, hi Tammy, she's probably <laughs> listening, just did this this summer. Oh, did she take, uh, did they do muscles? She was there in June, I think, but in any case, I've heard about this and it sounds delightful. It's amazing. Huh. Um, I did the organs uh, up there a lot, a year before. Well, well oh, sounds great. Yeah. I know. We'll be there soon enough. <laughs> Put that on the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to circle back really quickly and see where this takes us. This idea of, um, so James and, and some of us, it's not unique to us, but we are having the conversation of the different paradigms of, of teaching and teaching through training, which is, you know, it's concrete, it's clear, it's do this, it's do that, it's corrective, versus facilitating an experience of movement, which is self-referential. And um, it, to me, I think at the root of it, it is, it's, a, it's a teaching skill. It's a paradigm shift in a way. It's a, it's a, oh, yeah. a, a way of perceiving what I do and, and the offering I'm giving. And then there is the, the mode of delivery, like you know, through somatics or through Feldenkrais or through body-mind centering or, or whatever it might be. Or um, ballet. Yeah. Or ballet, right. <laughs> yeah. that you, it can be applied to anything, yeah. but it does shift us out of our, culturally, especially you know, in the Western world, telling the body what to do. And you mentioned this earlier, which I think is something um, really powerful, which is that we are something to be fixed. The body is something to be, to have something done to. You know, it's very mechanical rather than, encompassing of all of the experiences. Um, I don't know if I have a question except that maybe what what is that like working with the with the dancers? Because it's very kind challenging. Of high level in that mindset. Well I'm right now working with principal dancer from the San Francisco Ballet who's had injuries. Now this person they're so high level that they are quite willing to give up everything they know. Mm. There, this person, and I've worked with a, a three people from there this year, and they're all, you know, in this high position. So they, they have nothing to lose yeah. in a way. Yeah. I mean, and also they have really serious. I mean, they've had years of, 
And you know, to be honest, there's no way I would have learned this if I didn't have to. I mean, I love to obliterate myself. There's nothing you I prefer more. You mentioned that. Oh, to do God. wild things with your body. <laughs> I love that. And when I read that, I was talking to James earlier. I thought, there's something there. Let's talk about that. To do wild things with your body. I used to do toe hops while smoking a cigarette on the concrete. When I was <laughs> <laughs> Wait, if you have a picture of that, I want oh, that. Yeah, that, that should be your bio. <laughs> <laughs> never take it. I didn't document anything. I'll just get it later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything, yeah. You know, there was no uh, thought that there was. So, I mean, it's a, that's the big challenge for me is, um, I, and I've, I mean, I've questioned this off and on for years, actually, like Gilsey Kirkland, famous ballerina. Mm-hmm. Would she have hit that height if she hadn't first killed herself and then went back? Right. Or, you know, there's some uh, yogic idea. I don't remember who said it, but that you spend the first half of your life building your ego and you spend the second half of your life destroying it. So I, I think about that with ballet technique sometimes, like what what is that? For me, I uh, I left home when I was 15 to take my first job, and I was really not physically that prepared for it. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty injured and had to go home when I was 18, and that started me on this uh, this quest. But I've gone, you know, I'll go like full hog and then have to pull back for six months. Mm-hmm. Or go another four mm-hmm. years, pull back, you know. <laughs> Because, and the first time, the teacher definitely didn't want me to, I was leaving too soon, but there's an internal burn, mm-hmm. and there was no way I was going to sit around yeah. feeling my leg anymore. I was going out to kill myself on stage. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun. Um, <laughs> also, I was raised in that culture, so it'll be interesting to see with our kids. And then on the other hand, you also see, like I had a student, uh, an adult student, a uh, freelance dancer, There was a show in town that was going to pay $800 a week for someone who was uh, Latino or Indian who could do uh, gymnastics. Anyway, it was this person to a T. And I said, oh, you've got to audition for this. And she's like, oh, great. You know, starving dancer, really wanted work. And then the audition came and went, and I saw, oh, you know, how did it go? And she said, oh, I had a cold. I didn't go. (laughs) <laughs> I said, what part of $800 a week did you not oh I should have gone shouldn't I I mean I just so there's a yeah. certain thing about when do you push yourself there's a certain thing that we're looking at and actually Bonnie it's something she claims oh if you guys want to well I'll talk to you about it after um, she's teaching these mini workshops for us and yeah. that's what's supposed to be being addressed and what we're finding, you know, about half of my ballet staff understands they can take what Bonnie teaches and immediately apply it to ballet. The other half is like, how does this go apply to ballet? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, for me, it's just really clear. But I have been, when I was 18, when I had that injury, my um, my physical therapist, ballet teacher, person who retrained me, handed me three books, and they were the Vaganova syllabus, which is big ballet uh. syllabus, Anatomy coloring book uh-huh. and Mabel Todd thinking body. Yeah. And it just like sent me on my path. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> I still have the same three books. Um, you know, I finally yeah. finished coloring the coloring book about five years ago and started <laughs> another one. So, <laughs> um, so talk about that. So you had a spinal injury. Like a, a oh yeah, severe back injury. Well, it was—I mean, it was really just uh, overuse of muscle. It's just, but it was so painful, I couldn't walk anymore. So it wasn't—they um, were talking about surgery, but it seemed absurd. Mm-hmm. I just had to—I was just tucked under and uh, hard as a rock, and, mm-hmm. you know, just 
trained with too much turnout. And mm-hmm. I, my teacher was Maria Tolchi. She was a great ballerina. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of Balanchine's wives, and she was, you know. Yeah. So you're trained Balanchine. I was trained in Balanchine. Got it. And, uh, <laughs> Understood. Yeah. So you know that came from that, and all this when I went home, and I, I'm from Minnesota, so I. I was, my first job was in Chicago, and I went home to Minnesota, and it was, you know, January. It's 30 below zero. <laughs> All I could do, I was only allowed to just shift weight from one foot to the other for three months. And there wasn't, the teacher was very good, but she didn't have, she was a ballet dancer. Well, she was a physical therapist who, when she was 18, was packing her bag to join a ballet company, and a flower pot fell and severed her Achilles tendon. What? Yeah. That's so she became a real. PT. I know. <laughs> So she didn't, she was very creative, but she was not formally trained in any particular somatics. And I mean, I, I wish I had retrained me, you know, mm-hmm. but, but she got me going on that. So mm-hmm. like, I didn't, I could have, it would have been nice to know that I was actually transferring the vaginal walls from one foot to the other. That would have been helpful instead of just kind of changing from one foot to the other. You know, mm-hmm. I could have used some more specifics mm-hmm. that would have really made me understand what I was, what I was standing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it was something it mm-hmm. started me uh, and you said in your when you were answering the questions that it was the the moment maybe the turning point of of shifting from using your body as a tool yes to something else yes what's the what what yeah. was the what's something, something else, else? Mm-hmm. well you know I had been it was the first time maybe that I would recognize that the body isn't just something that you kill. I mean, it's always been used as a tool. You know, back in my day, people just go, what are you saving it for? You know? Yeah. Those are the, you know, I remember the advice, one teacher, you know, put your feet under the radiator to stretch them, and if you get tendonitis, just do it every other day. You know, just crazy uh, suggestions. Very nonchalant about the body. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is it, uh, I mean, maybe you're different because of of the environment you've created. Do you think it's that much different in dance and in performances now? It's so funny. It's like both. It's more Uh extreme to the worst. I mean, what I think is really sad, I was a child gymnast, and I really think that that helped me because I didn't start ballet until I was 10. And I, I hated it. It was so stupid. I couldn't bear it. But I went. Um, but I really loved gymnastics. And so I had this, like, strong physicality. And really yeah. got to, like, I learned to flip. And I yeah. and I really think I wouldn't have been a ballet dancer without it. Because mm-hmm. my training was so, so, you know, uh, up until, you know, until I was older. So there was something... Um, Sorry, what was the question? Well, we're talking about shifting from using the body as a tool to something oh, yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I look at gymnastics today, so I considered my early gymnastics to be such a healthy thing. You know, it was just very strong, you weren't overly stretched, it was, you know, it was a good time. I mean, and then, so I suggested it to one of my colleagues, and her daughter went to this elite gymnastics school and just became rigid, I mean, really lost her physicality. Mm -hmm. She could do flips and things, but it was, it wasn't beautiful. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it it had lost its poetry Mm -hmm. completely. And so I'm wondering now, I mean, I think really what I wish kids could train in would be martial arts and acting until yeah. they're 10. That mm-hmm. would be kind of my choice for, uh-huh. um, for early training. Yeah, yeah, because of the acting, you know, to really get the imagination going. Yeah. The martial arts is just so functional. Mm-hmm. I like the functional of it. Yeah, and it's also, it's both, like, offensive and defensive. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I think about Aikido and... But grounding and also also agile. Out, yeah, agile yeah. And outward outward and inward. It's got these beautiful juxtapositions 
There's Very also, I think, one of the things that I respect so much about martial arts in general is the reverence. And it's the reverence for practice, and it's the reverence for a teacher-student, and it's mm -hmm. the reverence mm -hmm. for, like, I don't need to be somewhere today, I'm going somewhere with this, mm -hmm. and to always be referential. And patient. To, and patient, <laughs> and to go, like, I'm still going to do my forms, no matter if I'm a triple black belt, That's or if right. I'm brand new. Mm -hmm. Like, there is, there is a patience, and a referential, and a reverence Thing which about is exactly it. how ballet is supposed to be. Yeah, so, which is sort of lost right. from you yeah. know what I what I see, and that's you know I think it, it's true of any sort of movement modality, right? Like that happens in Pilates, that happens in yoga, that happens. You know, it's like I want to do this just long enough to to go somewhere because I want to do the bigger thing. Mm -hmm. I want to perform. I right. want to make the big shape. Mm -hmm. I want to do something other than where I'm at. But you know how martial arts has two ways of using it. It has, like you can do Tai Chi, which mm -hmm. is for your health, or you can do Aikido, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I kind of view any any form should be kind of done the same way. Like for me, for ballet, I want people first to find out what the what is still coordinated. Because once you stretch a joint, you're you're not coordinated anymore. Basically, once you mm -hmm. over, once mm -hmm. it's more stretched than something else, you don't have navel radiation. You mm -hmm. don't have. So that's a high specialization. I'm not against any of these things, but they're yeah. high specialization. Yeah. So and especially with kids not being outside anymore, we're at a greater disadvantage because mm -hmm. they're not having that range of kind of natural movement. So part of what we're what I'm interested in, and we do developmental movement. We, you know, we have crawling on the floor, and you know, in ballet class, you'll see the kids crawling and love it. We also have um, in the ballet class part of the curriculum for the level twos and threes of ten to thirteen year olds. Uh, we cut the ballet class short, and they learn some other form of dance. They learn Bollywood and um, Afro Haitians, you know, but different forms so that they don't get movement stupid. That's yeah. what I worry about. <laughs> movement stupid. Yeah, I mean, limiting potential, right? Because yeah. you, you, it's not expansive, mm -hmm. right? It's it's repetitive and, and only one-dimensional one in a way. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, your choice in this journey um, to, to become a Feldenkrais practitioner. <laughs> um, and something that you wrote, a couple of things, <laughs> struck me because we've been talking about identity and because you also identified yourself as a big picture thinker like have an idea rush into it work out the details as you go along which I can relate to yeah. I mean that's how that's... the podcast got started it's like kind of how I do my life yeah <laughs> but it's, we've also been in this conversation around most people kind of like enter into a, a modality like I'm going to become a Pilates teacher a yoga teacher um, and I'm going to add knowledge, add knowledge, add knowledge, and then at some point I'm going to get confused and I'm not going to know what it is I do. When I was reading your responses, it seems to me, and maybe this is inaccurate, you can tell me, um, that you were having this kind of expansive experience and formulating for yourself what, what the it was for you, but then you needed to call it something or have an umbrella. And I loved that you... We were, you at some point were teaching a class called Augusta's Weird Class, <laughs> and then it was like, well, what is that? You know, I'm, so what was that? What was that like? What are those stepping stones like for you when you from that class to yeah, like you you know decided to do the class and then well, it just the class was another spontaneous thing that happened. But to go back a little bit, when I was still in the San Francisco Ballet, I think I mentioned to you that I was uh, 
Well, I spent, you know, off and on, many years off and on a physical therapy table with, you know, very elite mm -hmm. physical therapy people. They'd spend a lot of money. San Francisco Ballet spends a lot of money to try to keep the dancers going. But it just never helped. I mean, it helped a little bit. You just keep getting strong around a pattern. But then, you know, and I still see this all the time with these dancers. You can last anywhere from three months to another three years is what I see usually about that. Because you can just get so strong. Mm -hmm. That you can kind of, but eventually the wear and tear, because it's just not, the alignment's not there, and you're just still in the same pattern that got you injured. So I was just finding that I, it was not addressing, physical therapy was not addressing my problems. I, I know it works for some people, and it's great, but it was just not, I think mine was really, well, I actually think it came from a gymnastics injury, you mm -hmm. know, that had been buried for years. Yeah. So why Feldenkrais? You came oh, to the place yeah. that that's weird So I was in, uh, I was at the sports medicine clinic, and the Pilates teacher, and I did do Pilates there uh, with a really inspired person, and while I was out with some, I don't remember what the injury was anymore, uh, I did that with her three or four times a week for two months and the day I got back I had to go to I had to perform there was some injury so <laughs> the day you get back you have to go to work and um, the only thing sore on me that night were my arms I was you know really impressed by how mm. strong it, you know how mm -hmm. strong I managed to stay during this but I've always been really strong for people who are weak you need to build up but for me I was always strong so the, she's the one who recommended that I try a Feldenkrais class and I went and I was like, hmm, you know, it was just something different. Also, I had seen some performers, I wasn't used to this idea of chi movement, you know, of the idea of like, of what else moves you? What do you, how do you move yeah. from the tube or what are the fluids? Anyway, Feldenkrais doesn't deal with fluids and that, but anyway, I could feel there was a different point of view than muscles and bones. I was very sick of muscles and bones. Um, and so I was studying a little bit and then my mother, who was living in Minneapolis, was just going through a terrible time, and I was very concerned for her well-being with, with back pain. She came to visit me, and I took her to see a practitioner who, it just immediately helped her, like it was dramatic, mm -hmm. so much that she she came out and did a training. She became, she, my mother's a Feldenkrais practitioner. Wow. Oh my gosh, cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I still wasn't quite ready to go in. But for her, she had to because there weren't any in Minneapolis at the time. Yeah. And she was, it was She needed to be her own teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, she moved here and now she's my sub-teacher sometimes. Oh my God. <laughs> I get to say, and the subs is my mom. You know. <laughs> but anyway. Um, That's great. So I could feel this uh, thing. And then at one point, and so, you know, it was about this time that I, Finally, you know, I did have to leave the ballet. I couldn't handle the eight shows a week anymore with this pro this problem. And I was teaching, and I was still dancing some and doing a lot of things. And so I'm teaching this class, and it, it starts to evolve, you know. It was, <laughs> I remember one of the classes was that everybody was just overusing their upper back to stand up, or their mid-back, you know, that thing. And so we managed to get it relaxed enough, and, and it was, <laughs> it was about... 25 people walking around in this sort of hunched position. Everybody was really happy, and you know you could see about four feet in front of you, and we were all like, you know, really grooving on it, walking around. Finally, I said, is there a problem here? And people said, are we going to run into things? You know, can we do this outside? So we were, you know, starting to work on uh, different vertebrae that come up. And 
And I recognized the Feldenkraisian possibilities there, and I thought, I just, I need some legitimate title for myself, so I decided, and that was, I could do it, there was a four-year training that was going to be right there at Treasure Island. Uh -huh. Anyway, it worked. Yeah. Um, I and it, my, you know, I, with my mother getting so much better from it, it was my first. I don't know. I didn't really do a lot of research to a lot of other yeah. things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it, you know, I think it was a good thing for me. And really cool things happened during the training. I, you know, this idea that you can't change your mind until you experience a new movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the brilliant mm -hmm. thing of Feldenkrais. Mm -hmm. All these unusual yeah. movements, yeah. novel movements. Right. That's the whole point of it, really. Mm -hmm. And so I would spend, I think I got a lot out of my training because I would spend Sundays just lying in bed for four hours going over the ATMs and just doing them very <laughs> internally and very cellularly, not particularly how we were taught, right? but just for, that's what I would do. I just had to get this deep feeling of it. And from there, I woke up out of this thing and just wrote the best thing I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. I... It wasn't even so much about my body, what mm -hmm. happened there, was just how much, and then I started potting and making these really creative pots, mm -hmm. and I was acting and being a model, like all these, like just my world got so much bigger. Interesting. From doing that. So just for the for those of you who are listening, ATM is Awareness Through Movement Lessons, which is when you're the, the one to many. Uh, Voice guided. Right, is. Is this is the way Feldenkrais is delivered yeah. if you haven't had that experience? Yeah. So just so that's not totally confusing. It's yeah. It was coined before the banks were. Uh, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reviewing the ATMs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I could Where just yeah that would be ATMs great. Like everyone in their car right now is like ATM. It's like how many banks did she have? It stands for so, awareness through movement. Right. <laughs> uh, so you sort of hit something on there. I mean. I I consider myself an innovative movement instructor, and I know a lot of people consider themselves innovative movement instructors. And there's this thing of like when you when you're in the creation mode, like anyone who's created Augusta's weird class, or I've gone through several iterations where I've done movement raw, movement refined. Chantelle and I created movement lab. You know, we've created these these spaces to explore movement. And then there comes a time where you're like, do I just keep teaching the weird class or do I find something to to associate do I find a tribe to associate it with yeah so for you if knowing what you know now could you go back and talk to the person who was who was the you that was having that moment where you're like do I legitimize it what do I do what were the benefits of that is there any word of advice for those this is a selfish question for those <laughs> of us who are like what do we do like do we just continue to to teach the weird thing and just have it be amorphously weird? Well, you know, I'm very lucky because uh, I have ballet, so I've always had a context. I mm -hmm. completely know what you're saying, that we need a context for this work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've thought about this. Uh, I think we need slow... I mean, Feldenkrais movements themselves are a context of a sort, you know, for people that don't have uh, a lot of mobility to do mm -hmm. something else. Mm -hmm. They're particularly great. But then, you know, what do you do with it? So Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what for? Yeah. And I and I also find uh actually find the BMC work or my work with Bonnie. Yeah. It's it's more proper for me to say uh Bonnie's work because I'm not actually a BMC practitioner. Yeah. And so I need to say uh, to be proper I would say the work I've done with Bonnie. Yeah. Um 
That is a little quicker and it's more specific. If people have time to do the Feldenkrais ATM, they'll get a lot out of it. But a lot of times, what our teachers have, we have to go fast. Five minutes, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. this, 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 this. Yeah. Two. Yeah. <laughs> Two. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but also, I think in some ways, I've been, one of the things I did say in there, I was, uh, as a child, uh, when I was eight, my mother sent me and my brother to Summerhill School. It was a boarding school on an island where I ran around naked for a year uh -huh. in the snow. Uh -huh. Like, you know, really, um, and then I had, I had a lot of alternative, uh -huh. uh, I've been willing not to go straight and narrow. And yeah. also, my, my uh, uh, dancing so young wasn't the best thing. So I didn't have as much training at an early age, but I also didn't have as much brainwashing. Yeah. So that was the, and I also went to theater school as a child. So I've always been very accustomed to melding a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And some teachers, some of my staff have t said, oh, thank you so much, you're, letting, you're giving me permission to teach the way I want to. Mm -hmm. I have never felt the need in myself to give that permission. I mean, I'm flying my free flag. Yeah. But I think that living in San Francisco makes it a lot easier yeah. because you can fly that. But also in terms of ballet, there were so many incredible teachers in San Francisco that I don't need to hold up that exact tradition. I can take my take on it. Yeah. And sometimes, because I'm the ballet director at ODC, I do have to hold up to some degree, which is yeah. kind of funny that I'm in that position. But we also have the San Francisco Ballet School and City Ballet School. We have really strong, established ballet schools. So someone who wants that kind of training can easily go there. Mm -hmm. So I'm off, for me, I think it frees me to mm. go deep into my work. I was just thinking that, actually, as you were talking, that there is some liberation in feeling like um, this, like, I, I am this, I'm rooted in this, I, like, ballet, or Feldenkrais, mm -hmm. or Pilates, or yoga. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can deeply identify, and you can rock, kind of sit yourself on that podium, in a way, and then feel like, because you have that, mm -hmm. you're free to then do whatever the hell you want, say whatever the hell you want, and and just run with it. I mean, I definitely, I think, have more and more of that experience of like, oh, I am a very established, long-time, 20-year teacher of Pilates and yoga and meditation, and now I just feel like yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want. because. Uh, well, you're going to be channeling what, you know, you take all the knowledge. I mean, for me, the reason... I never know what's going to happen to my class. I mean, I have—I always make a very elaborate plan, actually, <laughs> because if I don't, it'll just God knows where it'll go. But I'm always willing to throw it out. So for me, it is really this thing of just coming into the room and being really present. Yes. And I've been really encouraging my teachers, and it takes a long time, actually. I mean, the one teacher I was speaking of, she's now been teaching for 13 years in in the school there with this kind of support, and she's starting to go into that strange mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to come in and just let yourself sit there and wait for the... Um, I mean, I need my plan so that I can... Oh, okay. And it, it directs my train a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's that willingness to really ride on what is in the room. I mean, people all the time call me and ask if I'll see them like on Skype and stuff, and I, I don't, I mean, I should try it, you know, I'm not very technically, <laughs> but I just don't know, I don't know if I'll get the feeling mm. of it, I don't know if I'm, because, I, I mean, we've been laughing, because I'm supposed to be teaching this foot lesson, we've spent about five minutes on the foot in this hour and a half class, and it's been, you know, through the tube, through the chakra, you know, all these mm -hmm. other things, like mm -hmm. it didn't, I said, oh, did we mention the foot, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. because it, anyway, you know, 
Um, well, I think what you're speaking to um, is teaching to what's in front of you and whom is in front of you and what's presenting itself. Yeah. And having giving yourself permission to do that without feeling like I have to, I have to stick to the script or I'm confined by the script, even if there's the misalignment between what the bodies in front of me are calling for. And when I said earlier, I feel like I can do whatever I want. I mean that I can be really present yes. and allow for whatever happens to happen. And that's much more um, articulate and honest thing. That no, I that's it. Yeah. Because then you can. I mean, I'll, I think I'm going to teach this thing, and I end up teaching something else because I can see that everyone's poised to do it. Yeah. That's yeah. all. And if I stick to my thing, then I'm going to just miss this opportunity to actually teach something right roaring into it. I just love that so much because I feel like that's, that's what a lot of us are missing when we feel like we are, for some reason, beholden to the method yeah. that we teach, that we that we are torn, we feel the opportunity, many of us, mm-hmm. and, and yet we don't let ourselves go there. To, to, I just love the way you put that. You know, it does feel like there's an energetic pull to, to move into what is being called for. And, and, and but the, that's the recognition of you as a teacher. You've had enough accumulation of knowledge that you see it. So that's, there's that's, no reason to, to not follow it. As this conversation is going on, it's, there's this, to me, what, what it really comes down to is there's a certain level of being informed and, and having what you're doing now reflect how informed your history has been. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between you know a four-year-old splattering paint on a canvas and then looking at the work of Jackson Pollock. Sure. You know, where there's a level of information, there's a context, there's a deep um, practice that was there, mm-hmm. and then you can let go of it, and you can step into what is there. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what's, from my perspective, what is being talked about right now, is that there's this... Oh, I've, I've done ballet, I've done the Feldenkrais, I've done the Bonnie work, and then I get to show up with that amount of, of um, resume underneath my belt, and then I just get to show up as me. But the thing is, is that I'm willing to say to the students, I don't know how to teach this yet, I've just learned this. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to stand in front of them, yeah. and that's usually when the best work comes out, because we're just it's really raw, and everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> I think, too, though, that is the... I think that's often the ability of somebody who's been... like. You've been in the moment of showing up to yeah. offer something over and over and over again. And because you know you have something to show up with. I, I think... started teaching when I was 17, mm-hmm. like often. I've been teaching for so many years. I mean, it was just somebody asked me to teach at the Y in Chicago. I was like, mm, okay. You mm-hmm. know, my students were all older than me. It was all adults. Um, I was... So, and then because of my career, I couldn't be a full-time teacher until I left San Francisco Ballet. But I've never, I've always been very comfortable I had the calling at a mm-hmm. young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked. We were talking about this in the previous episode of movement identity, and that yes, we often get caught in this discussion of that reflects where James and I are in our our history of teaching, um, and that it is different for teachers who are new. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it's never too soon to begin to exactly. consider. Yeah that this is the process and to be explicit with yourself that this is where I am in the process, but it doesn't mean I have to just spoon feed my students or that I can, I can begin to be discerning Mm. from the very beginning. It's less of a sophisticated discernment, Mm -hmm. but you know, I was working with one of the teachers today and she's gone through her training. She's 
teaching and each time she shows up to teach she's she's going well this is not what I thought it was you know she's it's still for her it's still so early but <laughs> mm-hmm. because we've been in conversation around like it's okay to question it's okay to not know it's okay to not be right you know we had this experience we she was doing something in tabletop and we just made the teeniest adjustment she was like my God, it's like, it's so different. Why have I been teaching it? You know, 90 degrees, perfect shins lifted, you know, all these things, the aesthetic shape. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we didn't really, I didn't say like, that's right and that's wrong. I just said, well, what if you do this? And and all of a sudden she's like, being open to discerning, I think, yeah, that can yeah. never happen too soon. Mm-hmm. And it's available to us even when we are in the very beginning stages of learning how to make soap. This is, <laughs> yeah, right. Making me think, you asked me earlier, how am I teaching dancers, you know, high-level professional dancers are the hardest people to teach. You can give them a little bit of information. Only when they're devastated with injury uh, can they do this. And the other thing that I'm having trouble with, uh, for instance, the ODC professional dancers, they're so strong that they can't feel anything anymore. You know, what what I see, it's not just them, but I mean, and they're gorgeous. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful movers. But... Uh, when you have to override sensation, you know, and that's what happens when you're a professional dancer. You, you know, you gotta go and do yeah. your show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what you, if you're a mother, you gotta pick up the child. Whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, the over, but you know, it's funny. In my Feldenkrais class, I had a fireman and a cop in there at one point, and I remember, you know, sometimes I'll say in the class, well, you know, there's no child under the Volkswagen. Let's not lift our arm like that. And the fireman says, you know what, even if there is a child under the Volkswagen, take that moment. <laughs> that moment to see, because otherwise, again, yeah. you know, find the, find the tube. Or the, you know. Yeah, so should we talk about the tube? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of interested. So you walked in, and you were you were percolating. You could tell you'd been percolating. and, <laughs> and so Having such an effect. Yeah, it's, it's really great. So um, let's just take a moment for you to share what you're up to in your work. You came in talking about this idea of neutral, which is something very different than as Pilates teachers. Yeah. I think is, let's just go there first. Okay. Let's go. Let's go the neutral conversation. Yeah. So talk about neutral. What what is this for you? You you came in talking about your exploration neutral, of neutral. Well, yeah, that's a great. It's a great conversation. <laughs> so in a Feldenkrais point of view, um, it's hard to do because I know people aren't seeing this. But uh, if if it's neutral is where you're most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that. Okay. So that it's more comfortable for me to have this tilt to my head and this thing to my spine and this and that. This is my neutral. Mm-hmm. And it's not based on uh, the perfect man. Mm-hmm. So there's neutral. Uh, but this, I'm not so much talking, I'm actually talking more sort of like a nervous system neutral. Mm-hmm. So that's an alignment neutral. Um, back to the yielding. So. There, uh, Feldenkrais has this idea that you know the healthy body is able to go in any direction at any moment. That's the other thing about neutral is that you are able to go into a different direction mm-hmm. anytime. And he was a martial artist, so that comes with it. Uh, so that would be the same that if your uh, your psyche, whatever is happening, you're out here with this thought, or you're here with uh, you're wrapped up. I've been t- talking a lot about. I'm asking the students, let's see if we can feel the pain for a minute and a half. I'm going to time us. Let's go to that place. And, and if you don't want to feel the pain, let's spend a minute and a half 
contemplating that one day we might feel the pain. Because it's kind of crappy to ask people to feel their pain. <laughs> but a lot of times, most of us can only stand it for about 15 seconds and then we escape. Yeah. So I time it I, and I tell people, oh, we're at 20 seconds now, continue. And then I ask them, are you starting to get into the story? Mm. Can we leave the story and can we go back just to the sensation? Practice. And so we spend a lot of time because the story will take you out of neutral. Absolutely. So it's this kind of thing that I'm working on. And come back and see. And it almost always dissipates for people to some mm -hmm. degree once you take it. And, and they've been asking me a lot, what is the story? And we have conversations sometimes in the class about that. And I'll, uh, it's that thing that, you know, they did this to me, da da da. And then you're actually not with the sensation anymore, you're in the story. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it, I said, you know, that story is very important and I'm very pissed off about what they did to me and it really, it really sucks. But I need to go back to the sensation so I can find out. So I'm, you know, put that there, but really find out. And then people have a better chance of getting, and then from there there's a little more chance of yielding because that story is also holding it out. Mm -hmm. So it's the yielding, coming back in, letting the story. And I, I tell them about um, the giant earthquake in Alaska. I don't know, it was like 64 or something. It was like a nine point something. Mm. But apparently, um, <laughs> it, was, it was over five minutes long. An earthquake for over five. So apparently, like the first two minutes, people were just like, oh my God, or first minute and a half. Yeah. For me. And then after a minute and a half, they just sat on their couch and watched TV. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is how we live now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's something about that minute and a half. Uh -huh. Yeah. The, the, uh, you, yeah. It's. I've been finding this over and over again. If people can tolerate a minute and a half of whatever this is that you just go, it's that moment. That's the yielding. That's the allowing. It's the yielding of this. It's the accepting of it. Whatever you want to call it. But it's that moment of. It's not that you're saying I love it, but I accept that this is here, because there's a lot of energy and fighting it, which takes you out of your neutrality. Yeah. So we talk about, I try to just put it in little pieces like that. Minute and a half, da-da-da, I'll hold your hand, you know, whatever we need. Uh, or get up and leave the room if, uh, you know, five seconds is enough, or go to sleep, whatever you need to do, you know. Because someone was complaining to me that I just went to sleep in the class. I'm like, sounds great, but it's as much as you could stand. Yeah. yeah. And the sleep is a protection. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's great when people fall asleep in class. I love uh, that. <laughs> I really do because I, they yielded enough. They went into it. It was, oh, jeez. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to, my Feldenkrais training was sort of hellish for me. I hated it the whole time because I never did fall asleep. I was, it was like watching a horror show for me. <laughs> and I was healthy, you know. <laughs> Ugh. And in fact, when I was deathly ill, I was in bed for almost two years at one point, and I couldn't go to Feldenkrais classes during that time because it, laying down to feel myself was yeah. such an unpleasant experience. Yeah. And so I do have a lot of people in my class now who are dealing with this kind of pain or serious stuff and having, so you know how your problems are your greatest teacher, so that's how I developed this, can you stand it for a minute and a half, or we'll do 30 seconds. I'll tell you when 30 seconds is up, you can let it go. But I just noticed the minute and a half is magic. I don't know why that is, but mm -hmm. there's just this shift in consciousness at about a minute and a half, and people go, oh. And so talk more a little bit about yielding. What what's, what does yielding do? Why why that? Like, you, we talked about it kind of off. Well, I think it has earlier. to do, like, you know, um, 
Information comes in through the back of the spinal cord and motor goes out the front, the sensory and the motor nerves. Something like this. So when you have something happen to you, it can get stuck. And Bonnie talks about this. You can get stuck in the synapse, you know, right? It, like you'll see this a lot of times when people are in shock, their back is still held like this because the information didn't pass through and didn't get to go up and get chewed up and then out, uh -huh. the, out the spinal cord. So this is a sympathetic, parasympathetic. Yeah. And you could, oh, that felt great, right? You know, that's, that's <laughs> it, it's going, it's going out. Yeah. So it's such a great thing to know about this. And I do talk about the students sometimes will actually just sort of practice feeling and feeling, is it there? Can I let it, you see, this is the yielding, ugh, you can let it in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that you can put it in the tube and chew it up. The yeah. tube to me is, it's like center to nauticord, uh, digestive, you know, I, I don't care what, how people, that's why I was using the vagina because it, it's just something people can find. Mm -hmm. And the anus, uh, the throat, the esophagus. So uh, in your, in your mind, Augusta, is it, um, uh, the physical, uh, tube of mouth to anus or is it an energetic tube? I let it be all, all a lot of all things. All of the above. Yeah. 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 I've tried different things because we've done, there is a Feldenkrais and Bonnie does something similar of swallowing a ball. Well, first you kind of roll it around on your body and mm -hmm. let it go and then you swallow it and you follow it. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. People like feel incredible after that. Um, so you can get that for me, that's really great because then you're going to get the organ, yeah. organ support, and that's here, yeah. the front body. It's you know, yeah. it's not. Yeah. Most people just make their back hard. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is front body, and it's just yeah, yeah. But I'm finding, and I am working. I have a, one of my students is a doctorate, a PT doctorate on the pelvic floor, and she's one of my students. So it's been kind of great because I'm trying to you know help the men with this. It hasn't. Um, because she said, well, the labia are the same tissue as the penis, but it's not, it's not, there's something, and I was really, actually, in my insomnia lesson, I was really embodying a penis and feeling, so when you have a vagina, there's this openness, and then there's these, what, what I'm trying to get at is that, when I, this is what I do for people, I make kind of a column with my hands, and I soften it. Mm -hmm. So, I'll demonstrate for you, I know it's not here, I was watching a dance class at ODC, outside the window. And I was watching two people dance. And one person was going like this. You can describe what it was. They were moving their arms like this. So, <laughs> and another person next I wish, to them. This is, so you have three movement people sitting in a room together. And we're watching <laughs> movement take place. Um, so what... Hey, that's, that's video. Yeah, I'm going to do, do a quick okay. video of it. And this will, I'll put it on my Instagram or something. Yeah, and we'll, okay, too. cool, cool. So we'll okay. do like a little video of it. So one person was uh, dancing. They were, I don't know what the teacher told them. I was outside. But she was going like this. <laughs> like a cat pawing at something. Uh, yeah, knows what it was. Yeah. And then the other person was going like this. <laughs> they were just totally <laughs> through there. Two. You know, there was yeah. a, there was a there was a complete connection. There wasn't like a rebound. This person was just an arm. Uh huh. Arms. See, this is why I'm concerned about giving someone. Everybody, use your arms. Right. Right. So right. as soon as you become an arm, that's right. There's nothing else. Nothing else. else. Mm -hmm. So that's why. I tube. show people. <laughs> Here's the tube. I'm like, gotta watch the video, folks. I have so here. I move my. Let's see. I could freeze the tube, and then move my leg, or I could let the leg move the tube, or I could let the tube move the leg. Mm -hmm. 
So the tube, I don't know if you can see that on the video, yeah. but so there's tube readiness that lets the leg move. It's completely, no one has to tell me how to use my core. No one has mm -hmm. to tell me how to do anything. Yeah. You know, and the tube, so for me, the tube is going from the baby soft spot to the vagina, but I'm interested in the vagina because all of a sudden everyone's like, there's just this power, this muscular part of your body that is not thought of that way in this culture. It's opened up this whole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of my students, she's just flying. Because here you'll see someone, they jump, they use their legs, this. Yeah. You get into the tube, <laughs> yeah. you just see the tube go up. So everything is just tube up first. Most people, when they're trying to pull up, they, they pull something. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is just, just find the tube and just let it, let it go up. So when you're teaching about the tube, how do you start? I start so like what's, this. what's the shift of the I language? I say, here we are. I said, this is the, these are the vaginal walls, gentlemen. That's usually I say. <laughs> and I do just what you just, I just, that demonstration. Here they are, kind of responding to move or starting movement. Here I'll freeze them and I, I demonstrate movement. So people are like, oh yeah, I want to see those. I want to see that full response. Mm -hmm. And then I also look for, well, the esophagus is actually between the heart and the backbone because people are almost always here. So to, the idea that you could find your arms between your, between your heart and your backbone. Uh -huh. And that's why I get even... <clears throat> A small tube. <laughs> <laughs> a tube within a tube. Well, uh, oh, a so, little, they hook, so they hook in. A little tube from the Yeah, so they hook uh -huh. in. Uh -huh. <laughs> and on each finger. Yeah. Somehow, yeah. Show, see, because I have about five to ten minutes to explain this mm -hmm. in a ballet class. Mm -hmm. In my somatics class, I can take longer. Right. But having these kind of props, I have a little snow globe to talk about cellular. When you're trying to change a pattern, you need to allow cellular shift mm -hmm. because whether it's a thought pattern or a muscular pattern, the cells organize in a certain way, like yes. they create a liver. Mm -hmm. So I show people the snow globe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are your cells, your 90 trillion cells. And that's part of the chaos we do for a minute and a half. Is it all right? And we all lie there. Ah! There is nothing more horrifying than not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. This is the chaos. This is the nightmare of retraining. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to feel that minute and a half of not knowing what to do. So it's not just the it's not just the thing of feeling pain. It's actually people would rather feel pain than because they know what it is. Yeah, they, they know can yeah. identify it. Well, then they can yeah they could get up and defend themselves if they right. had to. Yeah. Right, they know how to respond to that. When again, the the instinct is to go to the story, which I'm familiar with, and I have somewhere to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to just... Well, in a way... Well, I could get up. I yeah. mean, the pain, at least I know I can get up. If I'm like this, and I don't, I don't, I'm so disorganized, I would let that pattern just hang out like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, for God's sake. So we practice, that's why I say we're on the floor, I've barred the doors, no one can get in. <laughs> no one gets right out. <laughs> and let's live in the chaos of the cells just and then you know there's you know layers of bone and I, you know I go through different things mm -hmm. but uh, so it's that willingness to let go of pattern mm -hmm. whatever the story I mean anything is a pattern yeah. the story is a pattern the <laughs> your alignment's a pattern the way your liver sits in your body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's that yeah it's, it reminds me of like the, 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 we've been talking a lot 
about the polyvagal theory and the idea that it's not just a nervous system thing, but it's a neuroanatomy thing. And that the habits are, like, literally, they've shaped your brain. It's not just, mm. it's not just a, an unconscious thought. It's beyond that. Oh, yeah. And, and so that's, a, for me, such an interesting new level of changing pattern that cannot be talked through, that has to just be experienced. Yeah. And how, how to get there is, like, it's the fun for me of figuring out, mm-hmm. like, well, how does this body get to that place of chaos? disorganization, not knowing what to do well, and to be there. This is the whole thing is that it's not, science can only write or, you know, what they can measure. Experience, there's no definition for experience. They don't know what experience is. Yeah. It, it's not yeah. in the brain. It's not. See, that's why the tube for me is actually consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the yeah. kind of, and people, they do, they suddenly hook in. And that's why when she said to me, the student said to me, I feel like when I'm in the tube, I'm just me. Mm. I was like, that's, I'm so, no, wow. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I, need a, I need a moment to sit. Yeah. With that. yeah. All the time. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, I'm innovating. There's, it's yeah. nothing more fun than to innovate. But, you know, I can't just sit alone in my bed all the time. I have to talk to people and yeah. Yeah. try it out. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that's why I came up here to talk to you guys. And yeah. it's just so such great. a... <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to go next. <laughs> I, uh, what can you think of for somebody, for a teacher of movement who's listening and they're curious, they're probably confused, but they're curious, <laughs> which is a great place to be, yeah. I think. Where, where, what's What's something they can, like, really uh, identify or relate to that might take them into exploring this idea for themselves? Like, whether or not just for their own body or... I mean, because I have a sense of, like, oh, what the tube is for me and how I think about getting there and the language I might use. But um, Something that I do in almost every class, and this is from... Uh, from my infant development with Bonnie, which was uh, defend, comfort, bonding, curiosity. Mm-hmm. Back to our. Mm-hmm. So, this is how I talk people through it. We can have a little moment here. So first, there's defend, and I and I just use these. Imagine you were going to a party. Mm. And maybe you first come in, you don't really know anybody, and you feel a little defended. Not let anything in. But then you see over in the corner a big cushy chair. And you get to go and sit in it, and someone brings you a little cup of tea or cocktail, whatever it is that you (laughs) need. And you begin to feel a sense of comfort, of yielding into the chair that maybe you were a little bit hard, but mm. the chair can take your weight, you can let down a little bit. And there's your immediate safety is covered. You're in comfort. And feel the difference between defend, when you first walked in, and then when you saw that chair and you got to release and pour yourself into it. So you're there, and then you begin to notice that the lighting is nice in the room, and you agree with the political posters on the wall. <laughs> and that you feel like environmentally you're beginning to bond 
to the situation and feel where that is. It's bigger reach. Mm-hmm. We go defend. Not that defend is bad. We need to defend ourselves. Yeah. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we need to now in the cushy chair mm-hmm. with our tea? And then as you feel the nice lighting, the pleasant air, and then you even look around and see people that you might agree with. And your sense of curiosity is peaked because you're not defended. You're in your cushy chair. Your comfort has been met. You feel bonded to the situation. And you're open enough to actually reach out. You have some curiosity. Mm -hmm. So that when you're on the floor, what parts of you are more defended? Mm -hmm. And what parts of you are in a comfort or curiosity, what's a good place to learn from? I mean, we can learn from defend very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not to say that can't be done, but where do you want to be, and how do, how do you want it to be? And we also do things like <laughs> moving from a range of comfort, not a range of motion. How big a pleasure can you make this? So that maybe this is your last day on Earth. You're in front of the firing squad. Do you ask for a cigarette? Do you ask for a steak dinner? No, you say, I'd like to bend my knees and bring my feet to standing. Mm -hmm. And you take the longest time you Mm -hmm. have ever done it. And so it's getting in the practice of moving for pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm... That's what I'm trying to brainwash people into. I love it. I I love it. I teach this class where I will joke, we'll be doing like vigorous movements all over the place and we'll come to center and it'll be some like juicy heat inducing thing. What class is this? It's a movement lab. Yeah. It's a oh. it's a format that James and I have developed, which is Sounds great. lots of different things: standing up, getting down, rolling around, interplaying with the people and the floor and the environment. Yeah. Yeah, and then it'll get like they're just like these moments of like heat, and I'll say, <coughs> like just relax a little, like smile, like it's no big deal, like don't be so precious about the whole thing. It's not exercise. It's joyful. It should feel movement. Should feel joyful and. People just either they laugh out loud because they just feel so confused by that or or they're confused and they don't look at me at all. You know, it's such an interesting, that's a huge shift. It's a huge shift for it's people. It's the shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, I mean, if I don't do something like that, uh, I don't, and then there's other things like that I do, but I do, sometimes I'll teach that for a month, just that, and I bring it back all the time because... I'm teaching an open class, too. I have a lot of, you know, there yeah, could be new bombing, people yeah. at any time. And, and it doesn't really, I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me um, because uh, I feel better from just doing that, you know, and I made it up. So, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm still happy to. <laughs> and then the new person is like, oh, thank God, you know. So to me, it's no different than doing plies, tendus. You know, it's like a warm-up mm-hmm. in how you prepare your body. But what part of you is still a little defended? What part? And then feel the defend. You know, exaggerate it. Let it stay defended. Uh, and that's when we talk about... So when I'm talking about yielding, well, this is the other thing. So take your right hand and hover it above your left arm for a moment, maybe a few inches. And this represents someone who you wish would touch you. Mm. But they don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, they don't. But you feel your pores open. You feel the nerve endings come out. And you feel, touch me. 
<laughs> and now, imagine some creep on the bus grabbed you. Yeah. That's contraction mm -hmm. versus the yielding mm -hmm. versus. So people, a beginner will get that like that. Yeah. Everybody gets closed. that. Open, close, yield. Yeah. Um, contraction. Yeah. So that's what part of you is, you know, as you're on the floor, is this, is this the creep on Muni or is this, uh, oh, that person you really want. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that with the teenagers. They're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they get that. They, get that. <laughs> they can't bear it. They're screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what are you getting curious about right now, either in your teaching? I know uh, the act of being neutral and the tube, but is well, the anyone tube else? is huge because of the con the consciousness part mm -hmm. of it. That's why it's um, because that's the other thing I'm always kind of you know has been going into me uh, the consciousness piece of it. Um, vibration is really big. So I don't know if you've uh, looked at Bonnie's. Uh, basic neurological patterns a little bit. Yeah, so vibration is the first one. Yeah, and that uh, I had this really bad foot injury and was out for a year and a half in 2014 This is how I got close to Bonnie is that uh, she helped me get through this but she taught my husband to just To hum into my foot my foot was given up there trying you find a new career uh, the tibia and the um, talus are fracturing each other every time I move they just kept fracturing each other there's nothing to be done uh, it's still not perfect but it, nothing I mean they wanted to like cut my ankle off and replace it there was all these like wacky uh, surgeries suggested and but none of them very successful sounding and the only thing that really helped oh I went to a pain school it was unbelievable they wanted me on a treadmill with a fractured I, I got thrown out of pain school for being a jerk. I refused to <laughs> run them. That's another story which I'll tell you about sometime. <laughs> I wear it Part proudly. Two. Yeah, I wear it proudly. But uh, it was so lame. And everybody was heavily drugged. I was the only person not heavily drugged. Well, that's um, why you couldn't run on the treadmill. That's right. Well, I just knew that I had a fracture. I mean, yeah. I knew something yeah. was wrong. I was like, did you read my chart? Because they were saying, no, you're, you're in pain and it's all in your mind and you have to retrain, which I understand what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, vibration, ankle. Vibration. So mm -hmm. Bonnie taught my husband to John to vibrate, just to mm -hmm. hum into my ankle. Sometimes I'll do it with a tube. Yeah, that's why this like is like very didgeridoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just you know. Mm -hmm. Streaming. <laughs> <laughs> People love it. They feel it. If it's a nerve or a burn, not doesn't work for everything. But the thing that killed me about it is this very high-level surgeon, ankle surgeon at um, UC Med. When I told him about my ankle healing, he said, "Oh, were you on some kind of vibration machine?" And I was like, "Well, kind of." But and I thought, if he thought that was going to work, why didn't anyone ever mention a vibration machine? Yeah. I mean, kind yeah. of unbelievable, right? Yeah. I was like, my husband was my vibration machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. I know. It's very, yeah, most people, I know, most spouses won't touch each other, but thank God my <laughs> husband was willing to, you know how that yeah. is. Yeah, 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 yeah it was yeah. very nice that he was willing to do that. Um, so I think that what happens with a lot of people working developmentally is they just don't go back far enough. Mm. I've been, because of some of the really terrible things, like, you know, having cancer and various things, I've been so screwed up that I had to go back 
to a place that people don't usually have to go back to. Usually, you know, we have contralateral, homolateral, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And we yeah. go, okay, you take it back just to the homolateral, and someone yeah. won't be able to do that again. But when you keep going back and back, and then you're getting into the non-locomotive yeah. neurological patterns of sponging and naval radiation, cellular breathing, and just vibration. Vibration, the wall has vibration. You don't yeah. have to be alive to have mm-hmm. this pattern. So, and when you're really screwed up, you got to go back that far. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's hard to find people that will take you back that far. Mm-hmm. So it was very lucky that I found her. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I would be able to... Well, no, they had... They, sorry, you know, look for a new career. So, yeah, vibration. I'm pretty into it. And then also, I really, like, seven-minute chakra tune-up on YouTube. Go ahead. Uh, sometimes from chemotherapy, I have very bad neuropathy sometimes from it. And that will take care of it. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, no, no, no! I'm just—that's my fond. I'm pondering. I'm oh, okay. Don't don't mention that. Don't mention that. I don't do that. Uh, but there's really not anything to be done for neuropathy. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of uh, students with it, you know, in the Feldenkrais class. But it's just heavy drugs. I mean, it really isn't. There. Um, I know some people are doing things with light. Now I haven't uh, I haven't yeah. found that yet, but uh, I know that there's a movement toward that. Mm-hmm. But it's the same kind of thing, light vibration. Yeah, it's a it, vibration. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wavelength. It's a wavelength. So, uh, as we wrap it up, what might be some words of wisdom, some advice, a little um, inkling of something that you would give to new or even seasoned movement professionals? Something that you'd like them to consider. Well, they could do that little practice, defend, comfort, mm. you know, that mm-hmm. I gave there. Love that. Yeah. And, you know, take advantage of all the free things on YouTube. Uh, I'm just, I'll go in any direction. Um, you can see Bonnie on YouTube. You can see Feldenkrais on YouTube. You can see Eckhart Tolle on YouTube. You can yeah. see... Uh, um, and if it hasn't Deepak. been explicitly said, it's Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen that we keep referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that I find in a lot of those is that they're sped up. Yeah. Not with Bonnie, because if you get yeah. something right out of her training, yeah. like her videos of her trainings are spectacular. Yeah. They, they're in real time because it's during a training. But I'm noticing a lot of things uh, are too fast. That's why I love Eckhart Tolle. You think sometimes the, that he's turned off his machine. He's just sits there. There's so, most, so, so much, much space. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much space in there. So I think that... Um, that's why I can't really read his book because my mind's too fast for it. I, I like video where I can hear the spaciousness in it. Mm. So it's taking that space mm. time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the body is, uh, what is it, 99 point something percent space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, the thing I talk about, like in terms of alignment, you know, some people, it's just, it's so, um, it's so intoxicating to feel a joint. But if you feel it, it's grinding, you know, in some way. So it's like the analogy I use is, are you, when you move furniture, do you crash the desk into the table? You know, you move in the space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's the willingness to feel that that's chaos. Yeah. That's the chaos of space. Mm. So it's a tolerance of chaos. I would say that that's the main thing is, are you willing to be in that, that moment of not knowing? 
And if you can if you can tolerate that, your tolerance for not knowing is what will progress you. That's it's the, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, I guess. Yeah. This has really such been a pleasure. A pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Such a Thank pleasure. you. It was so nice Thank to meet you, you too. Yes. Thank you.